0: Welcome to the Recappery, the History Chicks Media Recap Emporium. Welcome to the show. Today, we are going to start with Netflix's The Crown Season 2, Episode 1, about the life of Queen Elizabeth II of England. The first episode is called Misadventure, and we are going to begin with the Netflix synopsis,
1: which is... As Philip leaves for a long tour, Elizabeth makes an upsetting discovery. Prime Minister Eden wants to strike back after Egypt seizes the Suez Canal. That's it. <laughs> Two sentences.
0: And then for half of you, or maybe everybody but Susan, we're not really sure, um, there will be an official recap of season one for those of you who have forgotten a little about what had happened. So we're going to cover that recap just a little tiny bit to get you up to speed. And if you haven't seen season one, you should probably go back and see it. It's good for background. And also Mm -hmm. it's just good. So, here we go. So, Elizabeth's papa, King George VI, had become the King of England due to his brother having abdicated
1: the throne unexpectedly. That's probably enough material for um, a show all of its own, but it's a good thing. We already covered that in our podcast, The History Chick. So, just look for Wallace Simpson. It will tell you the entire story of how that happened.
0: I know. King George, though, they showed him putting the crown on and saying to himself in the mirror, Now, that is a sight I never hoped to see. Mm.
1: Not good. Yeah. No, not at all. He was reluctantly put in the position. His health kind of deteriorated right from the minute he became king. He had all these pressures on him, and his wife held the former king that abdicated responsible for the whole rest of his life. We see Papa advising Philip, who married our Queen
0: Elizabeth, telling him that she is the job. It is his job to be the right-hand man to the queen. We'll see how well he does.
1: (laughs) He had a lot to deal with. I mean, his ego took a hit. When they first got married in 1947, she was only 21 years old and they set off to have a pretty normal marriage. They didn't realize this whole ruling thing was going to happen as fast as it did. And then it all got blown up. So his ego and his career kind of took a hit when she got a crown on her head. So we
0: see the king die. So long live Queen Elizabeth. We also see the coronation and we meet Winston Churchill Elizabeth's slightly younger sister ends up falling in love with a divorced commoner named Peter Townsend, and that marriage proves to be unacceptable to the country and to Queen Elizabeth's position as head of the Church of England. So um, Margaret is going to start out here in season two quite bitter at
1: having been forbidden to marry the man that she loves. They had to have a two-year separation before they could announce their engagement. And when they fulfilled their duties and were separate for two years, they came back and Elizabeth was like, I'm sorry, I can't let you marry. The monarchy won't allow it. You know, politics won't allow it. I am the head of the Church of England. The Church of England won't allow it. You can't do it. So yeah, I I would be bitter too.
0: So we are going to say bye bye to Philip. As we ended season one, he has been assigned to go on a long, months long tour basically of the world on her behalf and open the Olympics. And he saw through that almost immediately.
1: His exact words were, don't dress betrayal up as a favor.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Ouch. It was kind of like a, a timeout for him, I guess, because he wasn't acting proper as far as she was concerned. He was going out with his buddies at night and, you know, drinking and carousing. And it wasn't what she had expected her husband to be doing when she was queen. So it was kind of like a, a royal timeout. I guess if you're going to take your time out, doing it on the Britannia is probably not the worst place to do it. <laughs> I don't know. I do not
0: love a boat. I would rather have a shack with no electricity than be on a boat for any. Any period of time. Oh,
1: well, I grew up on a boat, so (laughs) I would totally do that.
0: The last sentence of the recap and pretty much the theme of this entire series, seasons one and two, Elizabeth says, for better or worse, the crown has landed on my head. And now we will begin with the cold open. And we're going to use the same term that the West Wing Weekly Podcast uses because I believe they invented it. And I don't think there's another word for it. So there is a flintel of a thunderstorm. And what a flintel is, which I think is going to come up almost every episode, there's a sound that starts before any video. It opens on a black screen with the sound of thunderstorms, in this case. Running feet in the rain and they're shouting. It's a bunch of men in khaki. So at first, of course, I'm thinking, oh no, it's a war. And then I see the umbrellas and I'm like, maybe not a war?
1: <laughs> no. And across the screen, it tells us that it's February 16th, 1957. We are in Setubal. Harbor in Lisbon and everyone that's surrounding us and running in the rain are journalists and they are trying to get pictures of this boat that's in the harbor, this very large ship. We hear on the radio that the Queen and Philip have arrived in the Britannia and there are all kinds of rumors about their marriage not being on solid ground. So that's the first thing you're hearing. And it's weird because you would
0: assume that it would be what they call stand-ups, like one reporter on the scene talking to you. They still do it a lot with weather reporting where the hurricane you know is blowing the uh-huh. air or whatever. I do not see any stand-ups. I see no reporter actually talking. I think we're supposed to just forget about that but you know you hear little phrases like crisis in the marriage speculation about relations between her majesty the queen and the duke of edinburgh so okay we get it that's to tell us the people at home (laughs) that everyone (laughs) seems to know something about their relationship and then to end that shot there is a beautifully framed picture of the
1: ship leaving, almost in black and white, in a little round lens. I love it. Yeah, instead of that, you know, reporter on a scene, they just did a super close-up of a guy uh, focusing his camera, just the lens. So that's what you saw. So if there's a storm brewing outside the boat, there's also a storm brewing inside the boat. (laughs) The first we see of Queen Elizabeth is from behind and she's sitting on a bed and she's talking onto a phone. Now, We're supposed to know that she's on the boat because there's like a little clankety-clank of glassware in the background that would happen if the boat was moving. Um, You could hear the thunder. Later on, you see a door like move if the boat was rocking. But I saw no boat rocking action.
0: (laughs) Well, I kept hearing that. Mm -hmm. And I wrote, as someone who's been on a boat more than I have, is this the soundtrack of your life? Because that would drive me
1: batty. No. Not at all. I think that's a soundtrack of a large ship. Like, have you ever taken a cruise? Certainly not. Okay. I took one in my <laughs> life and that's enough for me. But um, And we did hit a really bad storm and it did make all kinds of creaky noises. But I will tell you, that boat was moving. Like I was sitting in the window of our cabin trying to see when the lightning flashed, how big these waves were, that were making this very large ship move that much. So I'm not, sure why the Britannia wasn't moving a little bit more, but okay, that doesn't matter. There's a storm outside and there's a storm inside because Elizabeth is Really icy cold. When she gets off the phone, she tells Philip that things just aren't working properly and everything that they tried hasn't fixed it, and the rumors are persisting. And
0: then she says, kind of coldly, I'm sure we can both agree it can't. Actually, she says, it can't go on like this. <laughs> She's sort of hard and she says, we need to lay our cards on the table. Who goes first, says Philip. And I'm, can you say my voice? I totally don't really love him right now. Stupid Mm-mm. question. Of course I do. Go first, or whatever. And he sounds so sulky. (laughs) And Queen Elizabeth calls him on it, which I think the Queen Elizabeth of season one, especially at the beginning, would never have dared to do. And she's sick of his poo. (laughs) Let's keep this G rated scenario, I guess. Yeah. His constant complaining. He complained that he felt humiliated because the god awful mustaches, which is what he calls the palace officials, um, (laughs) kind of walk over him and dismiss him and this and that. And he feels humiliated all the time. He has just this toxic masculinity situation. And then we get a hint of maybe an affair because she says that she has learned enough about humiliation to last a lifetime. I've never felt so alone.
1: Like, Philip, you promised papa, you promised. And now you've already like humiliated her in some way. I loved how when we first saw Philip, it was also from behind, he's sitting on a sofa. And it's the view that Elizabeth has of him from behind. So we saw her from behind first and then we saw him from behind first. And then they start this conversation about what they can do to get their marriage back on track. What's it going to take? Philip actually says divorce and she says it's not an option. We can't do it. She's the head of the Church of England. It's really not possible. So no divorce. They need to figure out a way to make it work. And Philip, I mean, I do feel a little badly for him because he looks at it like a prison sentence. And he even says that in this conversation. He feels like he's in prison. That's awful. And she says, well, what's it going to take? And he comes back like it's a bribe. My price? He says, no, I'm your wife. What's it going to take for us to work on this together?
0: So with that mercenary and ominous conversation, we now move to the opening credits, which at the beginning sounds kind of like a squeeze box. Really? To me. And then it turns into this, you know, grand strings and horns. And as the child of a symphony musician, I thank you for the employment for such people. There's a designer named Patrick Clare, who also did the opening credits on Westworld. This is what he had to say about what you should get out of this opening sequence. And I would recommend that you watch it at least once, but you can, if you're binging, just skip it the rest of the time. It's the same every time. He said, It was about looking so closely at the crown that you start to see the rough edges, the rough beginnings, the rich histories of all the various minerals and metals and jewels that have gone into it, he said. And ultimately, a crown carries a very heavy, symbolic weight for the person who wears it, which can be very isolating and destructive. So I hope it also captures some of that darkness.
1: It is a very dark opening. I mean, it's fluid because there's this molten lava that's creating this crown. You know, it's forming into it and the jewels eventually get placed in. But yeah, it's very dark, I thought. It's the same opening that they had last season,
0: right? Yeah. The next scene. Elizabeth and Philip are in their suite and McDonald, or should we call her Bobo, I don't know if we have to decide on a name. Her name's Bobo McDonald. It seems disrespectful to call her Bobo when I was not in her nursery. So why don't we just call her McDonald just out of respect because a lady's maid is called by her last name. Okay, so uh, McDonald is dressing her mistress.
1: We do see on the screen that it's five months earlier. And the mood from the last scene, you know, the dark, stormy conversation to this one is literally night and day. It's light and bright and flirty. They're just a cute couple at this point. This is the Philip and Elizabeth we saw a lot last season. So it's like, oh, I know you guys. Yeah, you guys are a good marriage. I like that. They're getting dressed for some fancy something. She's got this long, beautiful gown on and he's got his... Was that dinner wear, evening wear? Yeah, I don't know. I call it a tux because I'm American. <laughs> it was evening dress. They have their royal orders in place. That's those sashes that they wear. So yeah, it's a fancy, fancy thing that they're going
0: to. So Philip is headed on a world tour, and he's listing the cities because surely she already knows and he already knows, but we don't in the audience. So he's going to Gibraltar and Port Victoria, New Guinea, Australia to open the Olympics summer, 56, Melbourne, Gambia, and then Gibraltar again, and Lisbon. And he added a couple. They're going to go to the South Pacific and to the Antarctic. Boys will be boys, she says. And he says men will be men. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mr. Graham, Mr. Me, had an opportunity to go be a chef at McMurdo Station.
1: Yeah. In
0: Antarctica? Yeah, it's the American base. And it was a few years ago. It was a six-month commitment, and Jet was a lot younger. And my husband chose not to go. I'm just saying, Elizabeth. But um, (laughs) anyway, I think it would be, and maybe will be, it's the same, he has the same friend that might get him the gig. Uh, It would be a
1: great thing to have checked off your bucket list, I guess. It's pretty macho. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And he is really giddy about this trip. The last season we saw him, he wasn't all excited about this. He felt like he was being sent away, which he was. But at this point, he's like, yeah, I'm going on this really amazing adventure for five full months. And she is still very nice. She's very grateful that he's going and representing her in these countries. Their marriage looks really good at this point.
0: But you know, there is something, there's like a little red flag because he said, now that I've made the decision, I'm quite looking forward to it, which seems to me and I might be misreading him, but it seems to me that to him, it's important to him that it be his decision. Like I'm going because I want to, not because some queen told me to.
1: No, I read it the same way. It was like, I made a decision and I'm thinking, no, you didn't have a choice, buddy, but okay, if you want to think of it that way, that's fine. Maybe we can say he made a decision to accept <laughs> that he was doing this thing and he's going to go in all all in, you know, he's going to have a good attitude about it. But yeah, I I heard it the same way you did. <laughs> um so
0: we move to a venue of some sort. There's People getting out of fancy cars and their fancy clothes and a voiceover helps us out. It says the annual presentation party for members of the diplomatic corps. It's, it's very helpful of them to tell me out loud because <laughs> they know where they're going. but we don't. Okay. So then uh, we flash forward to inside in the next scene, Elizabeth and Philip are walking into the lobby outside the main event. I guess there's some late coming guests and they're going to get all settled before the guests of honor come in. There's more exposition. Evidently, this is going to be a
1: five hour marathon, this deal, just (laughs) like last year. Yeah. At this point, I'm thinking, oh, that's cute. They're on the same team because they're both like, oh my gosh, last year, five hours you remember that, you know, they can complain about it together because they're on the same team. I think that's just continuing to show that their marriage was in a good spot here. It was not that bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like the little lovey bantering they do. Um, And I have to tell you, I was really irritated the first time I saw this, at her sash being all cattywampus, which is not, of course, the British word that is as Western as they get, but her sash is trapped in her bodice, and I got all, you know, my hair stood on end, and I should have known it was on purpose. It was a plot point. You mm. look nice, he says, and she says, even in this battle dress, they do have the orders all over them, and I wanted to call your attention. Now, you know, the order of the garter, sash, and star, and there's two on there that I think I want to call out. Um, There is one on a white ribbon that is the family order of King George V. Grandpa, it is on a white ribbon and Queen Elizabeth is now the only surviving person that is authorized to wear it. And then her father's order is on the pink ribbon. So she's wearing those two. Her royal family order that she doesn't wear but other people do is on a yellow ribbon. So look for that next time anyone's fancy, which is generally speaking, if the men are in white tie, that equals regalia. It's not a failsafe, but that's no. usually the, the rule. You'll notice Kate Middleton does not have
1: um, a sash. No, she doesn't. And and pictures of the modern uh, royal family, they wear all that all their orders now too. Um, it takes a while to get one. Kate's only been in the family for six years. The queen has to bestow it upon somebody as a gift. It's kind of a reward for service or maybe a length of time that that they've been with the family. Kate would be the granddaughter-in-law of the queen, so it's kind of one connection removed, I guess. Camilla has one, but she's been in the family a little bit longer. It took Edward's wife Sophie 10 years to get her. I'm I you know, Kate'll get hers. She's at home with the kids right now. You know, she's she doesn't have a lot of time to go out and do all the royal visits. So, she'll get it.
0: The last thing I wanted to mention, and I think I got this right, um, there may be a tiara expert out there, but I do believe we are catching sight of the Lovers Not Tiara. The, speaking of Kate, the tiara that Kate seems to keep borrowing from Queen Elizabeth II, and the reason why is probably because it was one of Diana's favorite tiaras to borrow also. So I do believe that we are looking at the Lovers Not Tiara. So somebody correct me on that if I'm wrong. Okay. So anyway, as he's fixing her zipper, um, and of course, he is pretty unreasonably irritated at the helpful lady that was right behind her offering to zip. I'll do it. I'll do it. And he was like, grumpy. Like, stop. You were doing so well (laughs) for 30 seconds. But anyway, um, he uses that opportunity. He tells everyone to turn around. And there is one guy, look right behind Philip. He rolls his eyes so thoroughly that I started laughing. I was like, I know, dude, I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so anyway he uses that opportunity to kiss her on the back of her neck so there's a little hot cha cha in public and that is a very good sign i think she protests but she likes it
1: oh yeah oh yeah and it was such a close up they it was like a softly lit silhouetty kiss on her neck so you know, those of us at home were like, "Ooh, that was nice. (laughs) And this
0: is in direct contrast to everyone's behavior during the cold open, which is five months later. So between this moment and that moment, what could have happened is what I wondered. I'm like, oh, no, I don't know. Well, they go in and he is a step behind her, but
1: they're holding hands.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good.
1: So you were walking into a glittery palace ballroom and we cut immediately to a Dark hallway and a mop bucket, and there's a guy cleaning the floors, listening to the radio. And it turns out we're in Egypt, and it's President Nassar giving a bold speech and he's talking to the egyptian people about reclaiming the suez canal from the british and french who stole it from the egyptian people who had built it in the first place we follow the janitor in the next scene who's looking in the window of a
0: room full of men listening to this speech just in an office so so far we haven't seen Too much excitement, except for in audio format. Suez Canal Company, Port Said, says the title card. And so, as the speech continues, we see sneakily, in little tiny scenes, military assets being put into place. There's a boat, there's tanks breaking a fence, you know, and then in the background, I say they do not own it, and then he said the word, I imagined I had seen Ferdinand de Lesseps, which really didn't match what the scenario was happening in the speech at all. Mm-hmm. Apparently, In that speech, he said that word 13 times like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and right when he says that we see a portrait on the wall and it's the guy. The guy that developed the canal, which opened in 1869. Suddenly, we're seeing some army guys, and they're like, it's the code word, it's the code word. We go back and forth between the speechmaker, who we finally see he's at a podium in front of thousands of people. It's like a rock concert. President Nassar and a military incursion into the office.
1: That we just saw, the Suez Canal Company. So they're just taking their property back, he's saying. But he's like whipping all these people up into a frenzy. And they're all screaming and cheering.
0: It is a fiery speech, which ends in the sentence... We have taken back the Suez Canal in nearly the exact same outfit we saw her in a second ago. We see Queen Elizabeth II's portrait right as he says, today we've come for our freedom from colonial oppressors, freedom from colonial thieves. And there's like confetti made out of invoices or whatever. Hooray.
1: (laughs) I think that that portrait was the one in season one at the very end of the whole season. She's getting her portrait taken. And. The last frame is her staring into the camera. And I believe that to be that portrait.
0: And for Tiara Nuts, that definitely is the George IV state diadem she's wearing in the picture.
1: (laughs) Did you like freeze it and then go look them up or are you just as smart
0: yes i did well and it was hard to tell on the other one because you had to see it from the front to know if it was pointy or round. so i was like it could be one of two but i was pretty sure it was the lover's not but anyway somebody will let us know so we move to elizabeth who's waking up i think naked there's a weird sound it is philip and he is working out <laughs> She says, Oh, I've woken up in this bed. <laughs> Which seems saucy to me. Also, it's like 100 <laughs> feet straight across the room, but okay, whatever.
1: You also have to note that she's sans nighty.
0: Yeah. She's sans- only wearing a sheet. Well, and then she says, as if to convince herself, I am going to miss you. And he gives her a weird look like too late now,
1: sister. But she says, come back to bed. What was the exercise you wanted to do? I have to do my stars
0: his star jumps or jumping jacks is what they oh
1: are. thank you i'm like what the heck is that okay that makes sense
0: and then it is about to be on as they say there are brown <laughs> chickens and brown cows lining up until the servants burst in there's four of them and everybody starts screaming no no out and then all they all hustle back out and it is so awkward and so funny
1: <laughs> it was it was really cute yeah and we know what happens <laughs> These people have servants come in and wake them up every morning, right? And bring them breakfast. That's how I usually wake up. So these guys, they come in and then they just kind of pivot and go out of the room again. (laughs) What an
0: awkward level of lack of privacy. I mean, all those people have probably seen you in the bathtub. Well, I don't know about the red coat guys, but the other two, like the personal valet and the, I mean, the ladies made used to change your diaper. So don't be afraid (laughs) of her. But like, she hasn't seen Philip naked. That's right. Maybe she has. I don't know. He sleeps (laughs) naked all the time. So.
1: That's right. Well, because Prince Philip, the real guy, does too. Or he did anyway. I don't know what he sleeps in now.
0: <laughs> I'll ask him on Twitter. Oh,
1: yes, I'm sure he'll respond to
0: <laughs> Elizabeth is writing a letter with that soppy look on her face. And if this looks familiar to you, the last time we saw her with this face on her head was when she was writing to Papa, who was dead. Yes, there were very bad things pending that she
1: didn't yet know about. So I'm like, oh, deja vu with the cow face. It was like framed very similarly to that scene from last season when she was writing her father before she knew he was dead. And yeah, you're writing a letter and you're happy about it. Something really bad is going to happen. So Philip and his private secretary, who I call him the bad
0: influence, his name is Michael Parker, and he is he's a mess. They're headed out for um, an afternoon out, and they flip a coin to see who has to drive back. <laughs> and I like how it goes, heads, your wife, you lose. And I was so confused. I was like, wait, no, because he won because Philip had to be the designated driver on the way back which meant right. he lost. I was so confused. I had to play that over and over. And then I looked at my husband and I'm like, I don't get it. And he goes, no, on the way back. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, he says to his friend, evidently a close friend, that they're getting along at the moment, actually. And it's obvious that Michael Parker and his wife are not by his very sarcastic attitude toward life and marriage in general. Oh, yeah. He's
1: like, I, I wish I could say the same. <laughs> but at this point, we don't even know who he is. We At this point, we th- He's just a, you know, a buddy that Philip is obviously close to, but you don't know exactly who he is. They kind of drop little crumbs of that for a while. You know, that's what this show does a lot. They'll show you somebody and they'll do something. And you'll be like, who is that person? And then you find out later.
0: Well, I know I like it because I have a framework, but I imagine if you came into this cold, you would be like, wait, what the hell? All these guys in suits. I don't know who this guy is. And it's almost like they need to publish. And I'm sure someone has a little primer as to, okay, you're going to see this guy and he's this. I mean, that's what we're doing right now. We're telling I know,
1: But I'm just saying like, it, it might've helped before
0: someone had seen it the first time
1: and you know whatever i but i suppose anyone listening right now has probably already seen it because the recap shows i listen to i've already seen the show i just like to listen to what people say about it later
0: so now we are at Eton college where the prime minister anthony eden is giving a speech and it is a pretty elitist speech i tell you for a pretty elitist place (laughs) it's not so bad for the selection of people that could be the leader to be narrow the tip top of society you know we all hear the world has changed and society has changed or at least it jolly will should change and then there's laugh now keep in mind he's in the conservative party and i guarantee you you got some conservatives in the audience so whatever he says 16 prime ministers have have come from now they're up to 19 now by the way (laughs) more importantly tom hiddleston and eddie redmayne and Prince William all went to Eden. All the same (laughs) series of years. I mean, they were like, I don't know, passing each other in the hallway, maybe. I don't know how (laughs) how it's all set up.
1: And he's very good at these speeches. You can tell that this is the part of his job that he really enjoys because he gets to be extraordinarily pompous. (laughs)
0: Well, and he gets some laughs. I mean, they're kind of like the ha 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 laugh, but they're laughs and people enjoy. They're leaning forward. They're smiling. They feel honored that the PM is in their college speaking to them and they've put on their finest academic gowns. It's a neat little scene, but dudes are driving up. And ultimately, they interrupt him on stage. And so something serious. And they tell him that Egypt has seized the Suez Canal. Uh, Elizabeth, at her desk, is looking at a video camera w- with a photo of Papa framed in the background. And she's looking at the video camera for way too long.
1: <laughs> OK, but this is the video camera that her father gave her on her wedding. It's the video camera she took to Africa on their adventure, which abruptly got Cut short because her father died and she had to go back home and, you know, get a crown on her head.
0: Is this the same one? I didn't think it was brown, the first one.
1: Oh, really? Okay. If it's, I guess if it's not the same, oh, see, I just assumed it was because it looked like it was older, not a brand new one. But If it is, I mean, hey, we're a few years in. Technology on the cameras like that has changed. So maybe it is the new one. But either way, you know, that's something that she cherished. She wanted to give
0: that feeling the same feeling she remembers from her wedding day when Papa gave her one. So that's good. (laughs) Even if it's not the same one, I think the feeling she, you know, it's really good when you think you're giving someone a gift that they will really like it's a really really good feeling so Mm -hmm. i think she has good intentions now a man comes in i'm guessing an equerry because we know who the private secretary is and it's not this guy Mm -hmm. uh he knows philip's schedule anyway um now i do want to add something about the schedule because the man that was sent for the equerry says after lunch club He'll be back which she hates lunch club we know that from season one for good reason evidently that lunch club was a saucy place um i read a biography of prince philip that posed the idea that philip was perhaps the man known as the naked waiter <laughs> <laughs> no proof there was a mask involved but let's you know i'm gonna leave all those allegations to the side there may have been a lot of drinking that she didn't approve of even if there was nothing else so i'm not going to allege anything about the naked waiter i'm just saying it's out there
1: (laughs) well you know he doesn't have a problem with that when's a
0: good time to sneak him a letter and a present she says and you have to send for a guy to tell you it's safe to go put something in your husband's suitcase (laughs)
1: Well, she wants to put it in a suitcase, but the guy's like, no, his luggage goes separate. How about you put it in his briefcase? And she's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. So she goes to his rooms where there's all this activity going on. They're packing him up for his his five month tour. (laughs) And uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But she sees that gorgeous. I mean, I wanted to call this a valise, not even a briefcase. It was so pretty. It was this leather bag.
0: I know it's what kind of briefs is he carrying around in that case? It is It's almost like a carpet bag made of leather. Now, I want to call your attention to this, though. When Elizabeth is looking at her card before she goes into the other room where she's going to put it in the bag, I want you to look at the front of the envelope. It says Philip. It doesn't say anything else. It says Philip. Okay. So she does go in and sneak the parcel in in front of ever so many servants who are pretending to ignore her. I don't really know. But while packing the item, she finds a miniature picture of a ballerina and gets immediately way too upset unless she's heard a rumor. Do you think she cuz at cold if you just find a picture of
1: a ballerina wouldn't you think it was like a fan mm. trinket okay it's her husband's personal briefcase it's a small framed photograph i would think that it would be somebody whose photograph he wanted to have close to him cuz if it was just a trinket maybe he'd put that in his luggage and we know that's going to go off on a you know at a different time this is something he has close to him the whole time uh, yeah she had every right and i have to say claire foy does fabulous eye acting she just in that moment her eyes just went cold
0: well and i didn't buy it i didn't buy it because i was just like so what it's a picture i didn't even i mean i guess is it like finding a girl's phone number on a napkin in a pocket while you're doing laundry or something even that i was like so what just throw it away i mean my husband's been in the bar business for so long i didn't even like I, I didn't buy that she shouldn't have asked him about it that's the part that i'm like if indeed if you feel it's important then you should address it and not just be a weirdo.
1: <laughs> well, th- I think in season one, one of the reasons that Philip was being asked to take his time out is his behavior was a little uh, too bachelor-esque and I believe rumors were filtering down to her. Now, this is in the context of this show. There is no evidence out there, while there are tons of rumors, there's no actual evidence out there that Philip you know, had any dalliances at all. And so far, there's no evidence in the show either. It's all the same
0: exact, it's just innuendo and rumor and like jokes. And that's pretty much all there is in the real world too. (laughs) Innuendo, rumor and jokes. (laughs) That's it. That's all we need in life. So she has to go compose herself. I'm going to go ahead and buy... In the framework of the series, that picture equals Elizabeth is very upset. I'm moving forward with that in my head. But before she can compose herself at all, Elizabeth has to take a
1: back seat to the Queen because the Prime Minister's coming. We see the Prime Minister. he's in his car, and he's looking a little nervous, um, and then he's led into the palace where he meets up with her. You know, he says, "Your Majesty." I know I'm not mocking the <laughs> It does sound like I'm mocking. I'm sorry. It just struck me because of my crass American accent. So Queen Elizabeth comes into their meeting late. She apologizes for
0: being late to their meeting. She's carrying a handbag in her own house, which I'm not sure... Does she carry a handbag? I mean, it's a big house. If you need some, you got to have it with you, a tampon or whatnot. Come on now.
1: (laughs) Thank you. And I want to point out that that handbag that she's carrying, that is almost identical to the one that you and I were shopping for and you found for me.
0: Well, I'm (laughs) just saying she took time to do something before she came to the prime minister and then she wanted to carry something in secret in her
1: bag. So more on that later. But it's time for them to have the meeting where he has to tell her about Egypt. And he's so trying to play it cool. He's just sitting there, you know, just kind of laying it out for her like it's no big deal so yeah eden tells her the suez news
0: and then he calls Nasser a hoodlum and a petty thief and i think what's happening is that he and some conservatives are feeling angry over the colonials who are number one ungrateful and number two lesser than uh, you know india just broke away and now egypt just broke away i mean like a matter of a couple of years ago, like they want control of their own land. And in these British imperialist minds, that means they're
1: criminals and they're stealing from the British. Which was interesting because that's the same terminology that Nassar was using, you know, that the British and the French stole from Egypt. So there's two sides to every story. Well, but the one that he's presented, the one he's, uh, yeah, they totally did. I, I, I t- completely agree okay. with you. Okay, And actually, there was kind of, I don't want to go into it too much, but right before this invasion of the Suez Canal Company, the United States and Great Britain were working together to fund a dam project that Nassar really wanted in Egypt, and they had pulled their funding. So that ticked him off immensely, which instigated this whole coup of the company and taking back the Suez Canal because they needed to refute. Place all that money in the damn coffers, <laughs> in the damn coffers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, Nassar's plan was to charge a toll for all the ships that are going through the canal and taking that money and using it for projects to improve the country, which you got to hand it to. And that's the thing you want to do, right? If you're a leader,
0: well, and I see his point, though, because you want to do anything. You have to go like tap dancing to these fools across the ocean and acting humble and this and that. It's like, you know what? What I have this asset right here and it is mine. Mm-hmm. And I should not have to ask people. I want to build a dam. I have a way to make money that is mine. I am going to do it. And forget all of them. I don't need their money. I got my own mm-hmm. money. Or at least I will. <laughs> so, you know, I totally see his point. And... Here is Eden sitting in that meeting. We've dealt with worse, he says. He means Mussolini and Hitler, by the way. It's, you know, right after the war. He has a strategy. Okay, the waterway is very complicated. You know what you need? Skilled pilots. They're the ones that have to get all these ships through the canal. It's 120 miles long and it's not exactly a straight line. It connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea. And these men, the skilled pilots are, hey, they're English and French. Here's what we do. We pay them not to work. Hey, presto. Egypt has to come crawling back to us. And he sort of relishes the word humiliated.
1: It's a theme,
0: isn't it? Everyone is humiliated.
1: His motivation here is the Suez Canal is, at this point, the conduit for three quarters of the oil that hits Europe. Right. So it's super. I mean, even during World War One, the British and the French closed the canal. So he knows what the power of closing the canal is. If Somebody else has that power, and it's this guy he doesn't like at all. So
0: here we have detail, detail, detail. Egyptian blah, 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 canal, blah, blah. And Elizabeth is barely paying attention, frankly. And I guess the days of prime ministers not sitting down are over. It's the end of an era, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So she just, she acts as listening, and she says, if you say so. And he says, I do. And he's all smiley, like, that was not as hard as I thought. (laughs) So we move to Philip and Elizabeth, and they're eating. I wrote lunch, and then I crossed it out and wrote dinner. And it might, in fact, be supper, because I don't know what (laughs) meal it is. You know, It's the meal that happens right before bedtime in this house. But evidently, his lunch club is a hotbed of intelligence, because he already knows that about the pilots. And I have to tell you, Philip in this scene is showing a good head for strategy. Mm -hmm. And if only he could be allowed to participate for real... So many of the household problems would go away and also maybe
1: some of the world problems would go away. I just love that he was so excited to share this with his wife. You know, he got super excited and he's using all the table settings and the salt and pepper shaker to show her how difficult it is to get boats through the canal and what kind of problems that they could encounter. And he was so excited. I have to say, though, there's a scene when he was Doctor Who and he's explaining how the TARDIS works, the time travel. He says it's wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. It's a kind of a famous scene that he did. And he's exactly that way in this scene. It's like he's used the same mannerisms.
0: (laughs) I'm not I'm not burdened by having watched him in Doctor Who. So I can come at Philip with fresh eyes. So (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, no, I actually liked I thought it was a nod. I took it as a nod. I'm like, okay. oh, that's Matt Smith giving me a nod in all his fandom, perhaps.
0: Well, I loved when the footman tried to take away the uh, pudding dishes and he's like, what are you doing? Those are my tankers. <laughs> that was so cute. <laughs> and it also reminded me of that scene in Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. So finally she gets her husband to talk about something he really likes. And he's talking about locks, locks. And then the so-and-so's made locks with this. And the so-and-so made locks with this. And Marie Antoinette is like, rolling her eyes back in her head, eating her chocolate, not paying attention to anything. And it's really a shame in both cases, because I think it's Elizabeth's fault, too, that she's not
1: receiving the bid for attention that he's giving her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she can't see his enthusiasm and she just kind of gives him the cold shoulder. Yeah, no, I agree. It's kind of like, you know, people who listen to the History Chicks podcast and they have all this knowledge about these women and they try to share it with their family and friends (laughs) and they sometimes get eye rolled. I think. So. Yes, yeah, sometimes Chris Graham goes, "Huh
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny, yes, you're right. Well, um, now we're off to Michael Parker's car. His family is uh seeing him off on his five month tour because the private secretary is going along, and they are not doing so well. Evidently, he's going to miss his daughter's birthday and their anniversary again, and he cannot wait to be out of there.
1: Oh, yeah. He's twitching in the passenger seat for sure. And she's going on. She's like, I had no idea that this job was going to become your life. You know, you you're always gone away from us. And he's just like super flipped trying to get out of the car. He's like, I'll make it up to all of you later. I'll call our daughter on her birthday. And he cannot get out of that car fast enough. He doesn't even stop to like kiss his wife and hug his kids or anything. He just waves and leaps out of the car. He's gone.
0: Incidentally, that car is a Zephyr Zodiac in case you're also trying to read that etching on the window.
1: (laughs) It's a cool looking car. I will say that.
0: It took me a while, but I got it. Zephyr Zodiac. Okay, so moving on to inside the plane, a very awkward goodbye with the royal family saying goodbye to Philip. Charles has been trained so thoroughly in politeness that when told to say goodbye to his father, he reaches
1: out his hand to shake his father's hand. But Philip is, I mean, I think he's a very attentive father because he gets down to Charles's level. You know, he squats down and he's like, the press aren't around here. There's no journalists. And Charles comes in and gives him a big hug after that, which is really sweet. And then Anne comes in and she does the same thing. I do want to point out a little problem, though. At this point, Charles should be like eight or nine years old and he looks about six. And Anne should be about six and she looks about four.
0: There might be a timeline problem.
1: A little bit. The actors are adorable.
0: Yeah. Even uh, Queen Elizabeth is, you know, oh, well, we won't keep you. And gives him a little, like, smoochy, no lipstick on the cheek side air peck and bugs out. (laughs) And so then Michael makes a funny, in quotes, oh, marriage is a wonderful institution. But who wants to be in an institution? Mm Now, Philip is happy about the video camera. He sees it and he tries to catch her eye out the window, but, you know, she's she's gone. And then he sees the note. And hey, it's changed from what we saw before. It now says, always remember, you have a family. And I bet the inside of it is all changed, too. And it was probably written in anger, you know, Mm. because she had that moment between when she found that picture and when she had to meet with the prime minister is when she wrote that letter. So I can't imagine it's a well-composed thoughtful see you in five months letter i think it's angry and i think it's probably about the picture
1: yeah oh i i do too but he's just looking kind of perplexed out the plane window and then we get a shot of her looking out the airport window and she just looks pissed
0: yeah she's it's a pretty picture though she's framed in a green window with some lovely red lipstick and then in the reflection off goes philip's plane
1: That was my sound effect. Did you like it? (laughs) I did.
0: And now, a brief intermission. So now we are in an airplane hangar and we are tracking with a vehicle driving toward the outside. And I'm assuming it's Egypt. It sure looks hot. (laughs) and brown and brown Um, so there are some white uniformed men and one with a very recognizable sailor uniform i mean even to americans i mean it is a (laughs) sailor he (laughs) likes to be on a boat and they are coming off the plane and greeting the khaki suited military man on the ground assalamu alaikum says the man on the ground which means may peace be with you and you know the reason I know this is because my husband, every time his business partner calls, his business partner who is from Lebanon, my husband says, Ah alaikum, alaykum, habibi. So I hear it seven times a day. I was really impressed. <laughs> so Anthony Eden is watching a newscast on TV and we learn who we just saw get off the plane. It is Russians. Russian Navy men have arrived to take over as temporary pilots and also to train Egyptian ones. Anthony Eden has been thwarted. He was outmaneuvered and he is mad. I wrote that with five D's.
1: (laughs) Also on this uh, newscast we hear that the U.S. is refused to intervene. So the Russians are doing a great job, says the newscaster, except in newscaster language. (laughs) And uh, yeah, Anthony is so mad. He takes all the papers that are on his desk and he just throws them all across the room the newscaster
0: calls this the most serious international incident since the world war it's east versus west and you know it's anthony's booty on the line That's Mm -hmm. what the deal is. Well, now we go briefly to a fabulous aerial shot of a car. And I wasn't that good at identifying
1: this one. Chris Graham thinks it's a Rolls Royce. It could be anything. I don't know. Can I just stop you for one second? I know that you got up at 2 a.m. to watch this because I did too. Chris got up at 2 a.m. Or was he coming home?
0: Uh no he watched it oh it was very it was like an all skate i was watching it on one screen and he's like you watched it without me and i was like dude i had to and so he started in he was behind me about 20 minutes it was very confusing but yeah that's sweet it is sweet he really loves the crown and i don't think he's gonna watch it with me because he's like i can't stand the whole every time you go back and back and back and back so
1: (laughs) i know my kids can't either because you just keep pausing it (laughs)
0: Yeah. So in Anthony Eden's office, we have a visitor. It's Chancellor Harold McMillan, although you don't know that. Um, right now, he's chancellor of the Exchequer, which functionally is the second most powerful official after the prime minister. So, so anyway, he seems to have some sort of um, an Eaton alumni password conversation because he says... When sorrows come, they come not as single spies, says Eden. And the man answers, but in battalions. And oh, yes, Hamlet, act Four, ceremony complete, whatever. (laughs) And then he calls Nasser's men a ragtag collection of part time pilots and the Russians are helping. And then more importantly, he says, we'll be a laughingstock and we'll have no oil, which I think is actually more important, although he didn't put that first. He says, we must attack and restore the status quo. And I have to tell you, the chancellor has a good point. Politically speaking, personally, for Anthony Eden, it's the right thing to do to finally step out from Churchill's shadow, which is not a reason to do anything in my personal viewpoint.
1: No, I, I think it. First, he says that it's a good plan as strategy goes. And secondly, it's a good plan for you personally to step, like you said, step out from Churchill's shadow. <laughs> but And it
0: is a big shadow, but yes, yes, he manages to step out all the way off the cliff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> So then we exit on another Eton Password conversation. Take but degree away. Untune that string and hark what discord follows. Which basically just means like if you have a violin and you move the peg just a little bit and try to play it again, it's like whack. You know, you can't understand the tunes messed up. You've done a little tiny thing and you've changed the whole outcome. And that's what that means. It's from Troilus and Cressida, another Shakespeare quote. Wow. Wow. <laughs> The only other people I know that speak in quotes from especially plays are theater majors.
1: I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that was from Hamlet before. I was like, wow, they're talking really weird. (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. Shakespeare. Yeah. So now we are in a very loud cabinet meeting at Downing Street. Anthony's explaining his strategy here. He's like, we need to go to war. We need to attack. Now is the time and everybody's getting all riled up. But then there's voice of reason guy who doesn't have a name yet. And he points out that it's not going to work because the U.S. and the U.N. aren't supportive of this particular endeavor and Great Britain can't go to war alone. Well, yeah, these old guys are not down with this sort of, you know, restriction.
0: Dang it. You know, there was the whole weak League of Nations before, but the U.N. only happened after World War II. So Mm -hmm. they spent their entire careers not worrying about it. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now here's this yeah. like young whippersnapper, like, um, excuse me, we signed a thing. Yeah. At this point, Great Britain thinks that it's like the most powerful country in the world. And it is very powerful. But that power is starting to get whittled away a little bit as the U.S. is amping up their, their power globally. So I think these guys know that. They want to get there, uh, you know, make make a big move. Say, hey, we've got this power. We're going to use it. But they can't.
0: I wonder if that's why Winston Churchill was in season one was only interested in the news what's the news from America what's the news from the Russians I think he Mm -hmm. was very interested in the global chess game and Mm -hmm. not so much about like the price of butter like I don't care you know no I
1: agree I agree so
0: now we go to another scene and Charles and Anne are running through the halls of their childhood home with the 40 foot ceilings (laughs) (laughs) and um, they're skipping but Nene is not skipping she's walking in a very dignified fashion to Queen Elizabeth's study and they are carrying some presents and I thought oh are they going to give their Mummy, a present. No, Mama cannot go to the party. And little Charles, the actor, looks bummed, but Anne does not care. No. <laughs> that was their 30 seconds with a parent today, the end.
1: This scene and the next one, I'm calling it the mothering sequence because Elizabeth's mothering strategy is to tell them to be good and send them off with the nanny.
0: Did you hear right outside the door, though? Right outside the door. They started and the nanny starts laughing up. So it's like, oh, my God, they spend 23 hours, 59 and a half minutes with this lady (laughs) Mm -hmm. Today. And of course, they're going to tell her all their things and they're going to be comfortable around her and they probably hug on her leg all the time and sit on her lap and she tells them stories. And like, if they get hurt, where do they run? They don't run to mommy. Mm -mm. I mean to say this is very typical of their class, though. I'm not singling her out as a special case for And, you know, she has more reason than any of these other ladies to ignore her offspring because she has an empire to run. It was just a standard situation. So now we are at the Parker's house and it is the kid party and it is my nightmare.
1: It's a nightmare on several levels. First off, it's, you know, it's not a palace by any stretch of the imagination. It's a very modest house. And there's so many kids in there and they're jumping all over everything. And apparently the party has an Indians and sheriffs theme. They're either wearing stereotypical Indian headdresses that kids wore in the 50s or sheriff hats.
0: Well, it's the 50s. I know. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a teepee set up in the living room. And as they pan through, all the nannies are drinking tea in the kitchen. And I would be drinking other things in the kitchen. I'm telling you,
1: they <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they are. And it's just in a teacup. No.
0: There's a phone call. And it's daddy. It's daddy. Calling on my birthday like you promised. You know. No. It's not daddy at all. It's um, probably like, can I be late picking up my child? Yes. Yeah. Seven o'clock is fine. <laughs> um, over her head, if you'll notice, while she's talking on the phone... What is it? Ballet dancers. And, you know, you're always safe saying it's a Degas in this house. A, I don't think it's a real Degas. And B, I can't find that picture in the Hmm. Degas, you know, repertoire or whatever. And it could well be him. But it's a subtle second incidence of ballet in this show. So we've got humiliation and ballet so far. (laughs) This party
1: had this theme. There was even a homemade teepee shaped cake with little Indians around it. Like, plastic soldier indians this was before
0: it. pinterest so mrs parker 10 points for you and then we go sadly to the parker daughter's bedroom and i'm sorry I to say i don't know her name the little boy's michael because he's michael jr but i don't i don't know her name um she asks why didn't daddy call so sad it's so sad <laughs> my husband was watching this part and he goes what an excuse my language (laughs) but that's what he said he goes poor little kid like that yeah and as a really good dad he was not down with that and then (sighs) mommy parker does excuse her husband you know he's probably busy don't worry he loves you he thinks about you all the time but then we see her angrily breaking out the smokes in the kitchen she's (laughs) not fine it's not fine and she's very mad at him for not calling so she did a really good thing not bringing that on her daughter i think
1: No, she she absolutely she was thinking of the kid first, but then she kind of went out and rage cleaned a little bit and sat down at the table and it's in the dark and she is alone. It's just her and her cigarette. It's like, oh, more smoking. The show was smoking. Uh, you know, they didn't. The first study that connected lung cancer with cigarettes was done in 1954. So this isn't that far afterwards. So I think that the world was still living in denial about the health hazards of cigarettes.
0: I wonder what they thought caused George's lung cancer. Um, David. Oh. (laughs) David advocating the throne, of course. Okay. You know what? You're right. So the phone rings. Is it the phone? We don't know. We're waiting for a phone to ring and it rings. But no, a hand reaches over and it is Margaret. And I said, yay, Margaret.
1: I did too.
0: I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) I do. I was too. And she's just, she's in bed and it's like, you know how you reach over and you grab the phone, and you just don't want to move very much. And she's like, "Hello," and it's her sister on the other line, and she's all perky. I have an opening for lunch. We should have lunch. What? No. But it's 11:30, and Margaret's like, "I came in at four. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be disturbed. Somebody let your call through." I'm really mad now. And the maid is in the background opening the windows. It's like, okay, Margaret's up. Let's let the air in and (laughs) air this room out. Well, the inevitability of being summoned to Buckingham Palace. I mean,
0: you know, you're going to have to draw a bath, et cetera. So you might as well get started. So (laughs) (laughs) Queen Elizabeth and Margaret are now having lunch and it is completely obvious what different lifestyles they lead just from their conversation. <laughs> um, so Queen Elizabeth sits at a desk and has to think before she speaks nearly all the time while Margaret is dancing with her group of bows. I mean, she's famous for having a basically a set of roving bows that were just escorts, not boyfriends necessarily. But, um, you know, they're out till four at the 400. And, and she is still, in fact, still drunk at
1: lunchtime. <laughs> Elizabeth asked her, she's like, "Margot, is it possible you're still drunk? And she's like, maybe. And Elizabeth says, you should be more careful. And Margaret says, you know, you're right. Grape and grain don't mix. Like don't <laughs> mix your alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Elizabeth was eating. Margaret was smoking and drinking.
0: Oh, you're right. Was she having a wine for breakfast?
1: Well, I, well it was lunch. And the stuff in the glass was kind of yellow tinted. So I thought white wine, although perhaps it was water and it was just a lighting issue.
0: I don't think it was country time lemonade no and it wasn't that yellow well I'm I'll have sure. to point you to an article about this her lifestyle in fact um, she had reserved tables at all those places she had mentioned in this scene and sometimes she even got to be on stage and she would play the piano and not your usual society lady playing the piano everybody's like yay the duchess is gonna play the piano no she was really good and people enjoyed um, you know she had a very fabulous lifestyle and it didn't match with her upbringing but anyway Elizabeth has to go in on her you drink more than you use Used to. Why do you think that is, says Margaret? Because I'm unhappier than I used to be. And why is that? Because I'm still unmarried. And why is
1: that? Because you denied me my perfect match. Yeah. The Margaret of the last season and the Margaret of this season are vastly different. At the end of the last season, the last thing you see is she's getting the bitter facade put on her. She's just sitting there and getting angrier and angrier and angrier angrier because her life is going down the path that she did not want. And in this season, she's definitely more gritty and sarcastic and bitter. She just doesn't care. And you know what Elizabeth's defense was? She said, I didn't.
0: As a sister, I would have been happy for you to marry him. It was the crown, she said, like it's a separate thing. She just has no power over. And this is another incident of that dual personality. She really takes it to heart and even weirder. Margaret sort of accepts this as either her sister's always like this or, you know what? You're right. It was the crown. Like she (laughs) doesn't even go, that's redonk. She's probably heard it more than just now, too. It wasn't me. It was the crown.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I will say Queen Elizabeth walks the talk. She did not attend Prince Charles's wedding to Camilla, who was divorced, and nor is she expected to attend Harry's wedding. Mm -hmm. I guess time will tell. I don't know how Camilla snuck in there when we couldn't have Peter Townsend, but whatever. So uh, he's not really from the right background Says Elizabeth Which is probably the answer to my question What about your husband Whose father was the playboy of Europe With an insane mother and Nazi sisters So do not talk to me about background How is Philip anyway, she says And I have to tell you Margaret seems very amused That Elizabeth has no idea
1: even where he is And that is schadenfreude Right there (laughs) Yeah, I. it was like Margaret was just waiting for yet another opportunity to get some digs in on Elizabeth. And she starts pointing out that Mike, she says that Australian, Mike, the personal secretary, Philip's wingman. And he's ta- she's talking about his reputation and how it isn't good at all, how he helped to arrange gentleman gatherings with actresses and, and Elizabeth says, and ballerinas. Margaret is like, yes, that's true. How do you know that? Yeah, how
0: does Elizabeth know that? Margaret knows it because that's the crowd she runs with. She is a worldly person. So Margaret does refer to one of Michael Parker's companions as, quote, that osteopath, which kind of took me down a rabbit hole. There's a man named Michael Ward who was involved in quite a few sex scandals involving government officials. Do you remember when a sex scandal might bring a politician
1: down? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I remember it. It doesn't seem like it's that long ago and yet dot, Mm dot, dot. Okay, so we are in a car
0: and it is a man. I think the man from earlier who had objected to the going to war plan of Anthony Eden and the rest of the people around the table. His name, ultimately, his name is Mr. Nutting. (laughs) Um,
1: We could just call him Minister uh, Common Sense. (laughs)
0: Yes. So Dickie Mountbatten is holding forth in his uniform room. He's on a stand that tailors used to do your hem. And it's, um. let's see, it's conversation boils down to me, me. And guess what else? Me. <laughs> That's his conversation. And he has a visitor. What? I told you not to be interrupting me. Blah, blah, blah. Well, he and his visitor uh, meet on the stairs and they encounter Lady Mountbatten. And it is like, swords drawn, but politely. And they have a very interesting relationship. They obviously lead separate lives. She calls it out right there on the stairs. We agreed. Mysteries on both sides. Fair enough, you know. And then she says barbed things all the time. Like, what does his obsession with uniforms compensate for? To which Dickie Mountbatten says, the gaping wounds produced by the simplest encounter with you, my dear. And I love this line. And then they... <laughs> They move on like nothing's wrong. Oh, let me introduce you to my guest, the Ministry of the State of Foreign Affairs. Like nothing's wrong. Okay, you know, come upstairs. So Mr. Nutting is sharing with Lord Mountbatten his concerns about the impending conflict. He thinks the prime minister hates Nasser, like personally, and it is interfering with his judgment. And then he tells him, okay, there's secret French people that have come and there's going to be secret Israeli people that have come. I'm just saying it looks sketch. Ultimately, of course, Netting, in the real world, resigned over this crisis and was a political outcast for the rest of his life. So this is a very noble thing he has just done
1: to try to deliver the message to the queen. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I have to say the room they're in, I mean, his uniform room, that's a bit out there. But that library that they were in, it was so gorgeous. I can just imagine how it smelled, all those old books. I mean, there was like floor to ceiling, what, 40 foot ceilings of
0: books. Okay, so Lord Mountbatten and Elizabeth are at dinner, and he is delivering the message. And he says war might look good on his record, meaning the prime minister, but it is just this vendetta. What am I supposed to do about it? I'm a constitutional monarch. I mean, she's really not supposed to have an opinion on this kind of thing. And he's like, you have to read all the papers that come through. You have to carefully, closely, minutely Study, Anthony Eden. And I like that little wordplay because she repeats it later. Now, Matten gets all the way through the dinner before he tells her, look, you, when are you going to let me replace your cook with somebody else? Because this is not good.
1: (laughs) And she didn't even notice. He's like, the things that are supposed to be hot were cold. And the things that were supposed to be soft are hard. You know, he's just complaining about the food. And she's like, I've never noticed. (laughs) All right. So they're related. So she's known him for a very long time. So they have this, you know, a closer relationship. He felt that she needed, you know, have somebody come and take care of her. Kind of. That's how I was reading it. A queen lacking in a present husband must be in want of a man to tell her what to do. <laughs> Actually, that permeates this whole story, this whole episode. That the
0: menfolk <laughs> want to tell her what to do. Mm-hmm. Like she's not going to understand it, in fact.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, so anyway, Lord Mountbatten gives Elizabeth some real feedback that she can actually use because she's not going to replace the cook. She likes cold oatmeal, etc. You married a wild spirit, he says. We both did. And trying to tame them is no use. And it turns out his wife, the one we met on the stairs, May, I'm cheated on him when he was the viceroy of India with the man who replaced him when England lost it. So my humiliation, that word again, was complete. Like he'd lost India. He's known as the man who lost India. <laughs> And his wife slept with his replacement. Ouch. So you can understand why there might be a little barbed words on the stairs. Well, when you really adore someone, he says you put up with anything. And look, he knows. He knows. But again, nobody says anything. I don't even know. Why can't we just, like you said, get it out? I actually kind of like their relationship, Dickie and the queen. And, you know, he's kind of a ne'er do well. But what I imagine is that he is sort of like the Duke of Windsor, her uncle, maybe would have been. You know, the abdicated king, if he hadn't been exiled and turned bitter. Like if he'd been allowed to come back and be back in society where his main interests were his cook, his uniforms, his shoes, his parties. He might be this cheerful guy too, coming around now and again to have a glass of wine with the gold niece and give her a bit of advice. Like I can Mm -hmm. see him being like that.
1: This particular scene, I actually liked him. I completely agree with you. Usually I'm like, oh my gosh, he's such a pompous ass (laughs) usually. But um, yeah, this particular scene, it was like, you could clearly see that they had a relationship, you know?
0: So what play is it? Oh, it's a ballet. I'm going to. It's not a good idea. Anyway, (laughs) Evidently, it's Galina Ulanova who is real Mm -hmm. and was in London that year. And people camped out to get tickets. She was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And the queen probably did go see her. That's probably as far as it gets. So we move to the theater. We are at the ballet. And the ballet she's gone to see is called Giselle, which is about a peasant girl who dies of a broken heart when she finds out her boyfriend has become engaged to somebody else. And then... It veers off into cuckoo land. She joins a gang of revengeful lady ghosts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So up in the Queen's box at the theater, Elizabeth is feeling pretty revengeful herself. And the ballerina on stage keeps looking up there at the box. And I know that we, the audience, are supposed to believe in her guilt, like Elizabeth does, I think. But we may just be being manipulated to see you know quote the proof if she's looking up there like if you think about it a real ballerina who knows the queen is in the audience might also look up there she's the most important person in the house you want to kind of check and is she still looking is she does she look like she likes it honestly she might not even be able to see that far the stage lights are not easily seen past so i don't know um Anyway, there's that whole a lot, a lot, a lot of looking up and it almost looks like she's taunting Elizabeth, which is maybe what Elizabeth is seeing from her perspective. But and now we have in my neighborhood of 100 year old trees, many leaf trucks. So there's nothing I can do about that. And they're not going to (laughs) stop. I'm very sorry about that. Yes, I thought I was safe. Um, But no, everybody's got 40 bags of leaves outside and... Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> they just knew that you were going to get on Mike <laughs> like, oh, Beckett wants the house quiet. <laughs> uh, they're two weeks late to do it, too. So I really had a good shot of not having it happen today. But... <laughs> so anyway, um, the usher, the man that's been standing behind her, says, would you like to meet her? She's a horrified look on her face <laughs> and simply says no, thank you.
1: Which, you know, roughly translates to hard pass.
0: Yeah, definitely. So Miss McDonald, as we've decided to call her, is helping Queen Elizabeth get undressed. And she knows, don't you think? She knows.
1: Oh, yeah. The queen is just sitting at her dressing table, just like not even doing anything. She's just staring straight ahead. She's got no emotion on her face. She's not saying anything. She's having problems, that that queen is. Is she thinking about the Anthony situation or she's thinking about her husband oh yes i believe the latter
0: this is my favorite dress by the way um it's this emerald green with embroidery on it and very wide straps and i think it is very amazing so that's my favorite
1: yes it was lovely
0: elizabeth is at her desk now another day watching anthony eden talk on television about being determined to find a peaceful solution and she has a paper in her hand a top secret paper That seems to be contradicting this, whatever he's saying, that we don't know what it is. It just, we see the word Israel, and um, it kind of alarms her the difference between what he's saying to the
1: people of Britain and the actual proof of not that that she has in her hand, kind of. Mm -hmm. I had to wonder in the first season, um, the king had taught her how to go through the box that she gets every day, that she has to, this red box. And he said he flips everything over because the important stuff they put on the bottom. I had to wonder if she was still flipping. That's a
0: good strategy if no one sees you do it. Oh yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. So now we see some more tanks busting through another fence. What could it be? I don't know. That's all we get. We're back to Anthony Eden's office. The teletype machine is typing on a top secret message. Israeli forces have
1: entered Egypt. Wow. But does he see it at first? No, he doesn't because he's passed out on the table. He had had surgery and... The doctors put him on painkillers, and he never got off them, and just kept using them more and more. At the end of the last season, he was passed out on a table after having given himself an injection.
0: You'll see later. He he has got a pharmacopoeia on his desk. Anthony Eden is driving to the palace, and this time he looks very upset. He looks sweaty. Like he's not in a good place and he is meeting with Queen Elizabeth and he does wait to sit until she asks him, but he sits. I'm disappointed in you, Anthony Eden. (laughs) Um, So he just says, he tries to be all simple. The Israelis invaded Egypt and now Britain and France are going to go in to keep the peace. And Queen Elizabeth does not buy this, but she lets him almost get away. Before she asks him directly if Britain is colluding with Israel and he cannot deny it to his credit. <laughs> you know, that whole like upper class yeah. male wants nanny to scold him thing from season one. It's kind of like working now because they're violating international law.
1: And it, and she's like, is this war? And he says, it's war, but to keep the peace. And he's trapped. Oh. Totally. And he does tell her, you know, that six days ago that the government of France and Israel met and they a document was signed, he says. And as he's telling her this, we see um, it's a voiceover of guys in hats arriving someplace outside of Paris and they sign something and then they burn it. So it was a top secret document that they just signed and burned. I had a hard time with this one.
0: Maybe that's narrative economy to, to mean super secret.
1: Yeah. we're going to sign it. And I saw you all sign it, but now let's destroy it. Yeah. Okay. We're on the same page. Because
0: that's super enforceable if it's burnt up in a fireplace.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he was doing the same thing that men have been doing to her this whole episode. You know, he's telling her what's going to be done. And he's like, it's the right thing to do. And her question is, well, what happens if we have to go in? And there's airstrikes tomorrow, he says.
0: And Parliament doesn't know The U.N. doesn't know. And then he says, do I have your support? And, you know, clearly not. There's Claire Foy with the face acting again. Mm -hmm. But what she says, very carefully chosen words, the prime minister always has the sovereign's support. But the subtext is, but you do not have Elizabeth's support. And it's that weird double personality again. But this time I think like, you know, you're right. The monarch has to support her government, but you are a dirtbag.
1: Mm-hmm. And based on his reaction, he reads her eyes very Cor- well. Correctly. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's just squirming at this point. And I, this is one of my favorite outfits she had on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was wearing this gray Tweedy dressed Tweedy, in a circle pearl pin. She looked so businesslike. I loved that on her. Usually she looks so dumpy. You know, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But she does. The next thing we're going to see is gross. It's ants crawling all over a half-eaten plate of fruit. There's some figs and pomegranate seeds and a half-eaten papaya and all these ants all over it. Oh, we're back in Egypt. We're
0: going back and forth now between several scenes.
1: So this scene runs in between
0: the next two. So there's bombing and there's destruction and paratroopers and fleeing civilians screaming. British flagged tanks rolling through the streets. Little kids given guns and told to shoot. So there's there's one intricate scene. Another is uh, Anthony's office where he is taking medicine. Medicine. <laughs> I like how I put that. It's medicine. Medicine, yeah. That's right. He has got bottles and potions and packets and pills all over the place and um he is pretty broken. It seems like he's not handling anything well. I don't know if no. it's the drugs or the fact that he realizes a spoiler alert, not too much in the future, his career's over. Um mm-hmm. this is a major screw up. So the third intricate scene is that Elizabeth is walking dramatically at first. Well, she's just walking. The music's dramatic. She's just walking plain. And then she's alone (laughs) in the palace. She's alone sitting at her vanity, regarding herself in the mirror. She's in bed alone, trying to write, I guess, her diary and looking all the way down the suite to Philip's bed. And I thought she was going to march down there to go through stuff. That's what I literally thought, that it was going to be a... like an FBI style takedown of
1: all the dresser drawers and stuff. But no, she oh, just
0: slams the door shut.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's the last thing you see, but that's not what I thought. I thought she was going to crawl into his bed. Yeah. I, maybe it was just me being hopeful. I did like that. She kneeled down to say her prayers. They were very quick. It was like the 10 second prayer. Amen. <laughs> it was sweet. I have to wonder, does she still do that? I can ask her on Twitter. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I need to get that cleared up. I'm going to have to make a
0: list. Hey, (laughs) Philip, do you still sleep in the nude? Hey, Elizabeth, do you still kneel for your nightly prayers? You know, one of these things. is not like the other, but okay.
1: (laughs) Well, they all have to do at the same time of day. True.
0: Anyway, so I am not going to spoil the Suez situation for anybody because number one it's history and you can look it up if you really want to know. But it also bleeds over literally into episode two. So we are going to let that ride. So where Mm -hmm. does that leave us? Obviously, Elizabeth is lonely. She has no one, not even her kids. She has Miss McDonald, I guess. But I wonder if they talk about this stuff. You know, um, I kind of wondered after the green dress scene if
1: they actually talked about it and we didn't see. Her and Miss McDonald? Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, you mean like on Downton Abbey how the yeah, ladies la- made all? Yeah.
0: yeah. And I am wondering right now why she doesn't talk to her mother. And I hope we get more information on that because... She even says earlier when she was meeting with Mountbatten that mummy's very upset that she wasn't invited. So why does she not talk to her mother about anything? Maybe she's just no help. Yeah, I hope we get a little uh, more indication about why she's just operating by herself but she is really alone um obviously elizabeth and philip are having difficulties or are planning on having difficulties since they're not on the same continent and i just want to say princess anne was born in 1950 her (laughs) next youngest brother was born in 1960 so i think we are amidst some marital difficulties for a while and it's a strong prediction for some bad behavior um, Margaret's coming off the rails a
1: bit, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, please show more Margaret. Please. I want to see what happens to her because she's just like spiraling.
0: What does it say about me that I like Margaret in this and I like Loki in uh, all the Thor movies better? Than Thor? <laughs> um. So this, so far, season two looks more hectic than season one was. And I can see how you'd be, like I said earlier, at, kind of at sea if you didn't have some kind of guide as to who these People are coming in and out. It seems like we're set up for some excitement this season.
1: I think so. And um, it's kind of darker and more political than last season was. Last season was about putting all the players in their places. And this season seems to be more political and how the players are going to interact.
0: And I really Um, hope that Elizabeth, she's starting to get out of her little um, wide-eyed deer phase that she had going for the first half of season one, and she's standing up for herself, and she's Mm -hmm. not letting men trick her like she outsmarted Anthony Eden. So she has her own little network of I wouldn't call them spies, but they are people she trusts that are willing to come tell her information in a timely fashion so that she can be informed enough to deal with the men she has to deal with. And I think that's good. And that only takes time, you know, you have to stick around a while to know a guy, you know, and be owed favors from other guys. And I think she's slowly building up that part of her job description.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do, too. And even in this particular episode, I mean, we talked about this several times, how men talked to her. they I mean, it's to, it was total mansplaining up to that certain point where she was having that conversation with Eden and she just was like, buddy, I know what's going on.
0: So your favorite outfit
1: is between the tweed and the yes, and the blue ballet gown that had the um, gold embroidery and it was like at a diagonal, which was different and very flattering.
0: I thought that was green.
1: I thought it was blue.
0: Are we going to have uh, one of these things? I was pretty sure it was green. So anyway, oh, is it blue or is it green? Let us know. know. Um, so then also the ugliest dress. It's a close tie between the very first thing in the cold open, that like pink weird thing. It looks like one of those things that really elderly ladies buy out of those catalogs, like $5 for mm-hmm. four moos or whatever. It didn't look good.
1: No, no, that was my ugliest one. because she had It had this tiny little belt on it that just didn't work. I didn't like that dress at all. But again, that looks like something that she would have worn.
0: Also, her nightgown was super
1: unflattering. But, you know, who cares? She's just going to bed. She had this robe on. I actually liked the robe. It had a collar. It wasn't like, um, you know, you think of lace as being dainty and delicate. And it was a little more...
0: Power lace power lace on her power robe.
1: Yeah, I actually like that robe.
0: So, I am going to put some links. I will actually not put them. We're going to be honest. I'm going to send them to Susan who's going to put them on the website. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "You we're not going to put them up." I'm, I'm sure we are. Yeah. <laughs> um so, yeah, there's like some juicy things from that Prince Philip biography I referred to um just a little background on th- the Suez Crisis and Eden v. Nasser. Um, there's like something in The Economist that'll give you a really good, you know, back story. Also some things about what all those pins are everybody's wearing, uh, all about that ballet dancer. There's a video of her on YouTube. We are in the modern age when you can have a subject. to go, hey, just go to YouTube and get this video. And then also... Um, all about margaret's outings to the 400 and all those kind of clubs too so we'll post those we will have a pinterest board going up today um with some links and some rabbit holes for you to fall down so thank you so much for finding us we will be back next week with episode two of the crown
1: bye